0: You're listening to Midori House, first broadcast on the 20th of May 2019 on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to Midori House, coming to you live from Studio One here in London. I'm Juliette Foster and on today's show... U.S. President Donald Trump warns Iran to stop threatening America. Otherwise, the Islamic Republic faces destruction in a military conflict. Palestinian leaders say they'll boycott a U.S.-led summit bringing investment to the West Bank and Gaza Strip. Where does that leave Donald Trump's goal of an Israeli-Palestinian peace deal? My guests Kathleen Burke and Daniela Pellet will be discussing this and the day's other top stories, including Switzerland votes overwhelmingly in favor of tighter gun control laws, bringing the in line with changes to European Union rules and so now that everybody's landed live from Tel Aviv Israel this is the grand final of the Eurovision Song Contest 2019 Icelandic band Atari are in trouble after waving Palestinian flags during the weekend's Eurovision Song Contest in Israel. Does politics have a place amongst the camp and the sequins? That's all to come here on Midori House with me, Juliette Foster. So, welcome to Midori House. My guests today are Kathleen Burke, professor of modern and contemporary history at University College London, and Daniela Pellet, who's the managing editor of the Institute for War and Peace Reporting. So, welcome both of you to the program. Now, America has been stepping up the rhetoric against Iran. US President Donald Trump took to Twitter to warn Tehran against threatening America or face being destroyed in a military conflict. In response, Iran's foreign minister Mohammad Javid Zarif dismissed what he called the president's Genocidal taunts. Since taking office two years ago, Mr. Trump has toughened his already hardline stance against Iran. Recently, Washington cited unreleased intelligence as proof that Iran was planning possible attacks on US forces in the region. So Kathleen, on the one hand, Donald Trump denies that America wants to go with Iran. And then he makes remarks which raises the possibility of that scenario happening. So what is he playing at? Is there any sense to this?
1: Well, it depends. If you think of Iran as a piece of real estate, there is. Uh, on the whole, that when you, when you negotiate for real estate, you say you're going to do this, then you back off, then you come and you belly in and bully, and then you say, and you back off. And, and the thing is, when you're buying real estate, there's only really you and your banks involved. But he, you will notice that time after time after time after time, he will come in, he will threaten, and then more often than not, he backs off. And so I think people have gotten the habit of, of assuming that's what he's going to do. I mean, I'm fully in agreement with everyone who says that they're going to. They'd better be careful, or someone's going to inadvertently shove us mm. into war. I don't think he wants war. I think even he realizes that uh, it's a bit of a problem landing troops on Iran. <laughs> um, but uh, it is tinder right now. Iran can't can't back down, or the regime is in trouble. Uh, America could back down from a point of strength they say but uh, at this point I would hate to predict what's going to happen.
0: Hmm. And I guess Daniela the question has to be what has prompted this latest Twitter outburst as if he needs an excuse I mean there is one school of thought that maybe Mr Trump received an intelligence briefing pointing to some form of Iranian complicity or maybe he's responding to something he saw on the telly.
2: Yeah we we really can't uh, know with Mr Trump and I would not take here is twitter outbursts as an indication of policy necessarily but i think what's alarming us all now uh, the situation is extremely um volatile but uh, the whole experience of iraq in 2003 was so traumatic um that i think it also informs people's view of uh similar situations and that's not always very helpful you know Libya wasn't uh, Iraq and the idea of intervening in Syria wasn't Iraq the problem is in this case there are a lot of disturbing similarities you have a, a group of forest, foreign policy hawks who are quite keen on regime
0: change mm. you have Led by John Bolton
2: yeah you have we, we have some some familiar figures uh, we have uh, some intelligence of uh, unsure provenance um, the cards seem to be disturbingly falling in the, along the same along the same lines. It's a bonkers idea to think of America actually launching a war on this scale against Iran. But there also, you know, there are plenty of bonkers uh, uh, ventures that seem inconceivable, in, inconceivable as well. Of course, one thing to keep in mind: what John Bolton
1: and um, Donald Trump both have in common is they've never fought in a war. I mean, warmongers on the whole are those who have not taken part in wars. They haven't seen blood. They haven't felt knives going in and so forth. And that's the only slightly worrying thing. And um, the military, American military, is standing as one, practically saying no. Um, so, and one also gets the the impression that Trump is a bit, uh, a bit tired of everyone thinking that he's being manipulated by John Bolton. So I rather think Bolton might have peaked, but the problem is trying – no agreement is, is worth having unless both sides gain from it and both sides get away with some face. And the real problem here is that Trump does not like leaving people with mm. any face.
0: Mm, it's his yeah. temperament,
2: and I think what's confusing as well is that one of you know his USP is no to foreign intervention. He's very very keen on bringing the troops back and not getting involved. So this really goes against um, his. I, mean, I, w- I would I wouldn't say that he had a, a foreign policy uh, policy, but uh, that's why this is so alarming.
0: Mm. It's interesting, Kathleen, that you think that John Bolton's influence has probably reached its peak. So I guess that the only way the only way there well, from that point is is down. So if he's possibly about to take a dissent, where does this leave Mike Pompeo? Because Mike Pompeo, he appeals to the base because he's a fundamentalist Christian that chimes, of course, with, with Donald Trump. So could he could could his star be on the big rise on this?
1: Well, except he was backing this as well. Yeah, he was I mean he was strongly with Bolton and mm. backing him. So tact. guilt by association. I think so. Unless he all of a sudden scrambles and says, Well, you know, I've been hearing through intelligence, you understand, that if we do this they're likely not to dot 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 dot. So I think he's not as exposed as Bolton is.
0: But then is there a dark horse somewhere around the side who's who's watching this and who could perhaps be manoeuvring themselves into a situation where they could actually claim the president's ear? besides gerard kushner (laughs) (laughs) well he's he's distracted on our next subject of course he's trying to bring peace to the israelis and palestinians
1: i mean when when there there are all sorts of rumors and i'm sure daniela knows as well as i do about who might who might who might who might but no one has actually made that much of an impact yet i don't think so um it is i mean i know this is a uh, an unthinkable thing to say, but it might be that Trump actually has an idea about what he might want to do. But having a, a, having a, a screen in front of him is always a is always a good thing. Mm. Um, what, I, I don't think any of us know. I don't think there is an obvious obvious new candidate right now. But there are, there are any numbers around who would like. Tenured.
2: Yeah, I, I, what's what's clear is that the Americans have have left all options open. They've they've stated explicitly that they will see an attack on America or any of its allies or friends by any group associated with Iran. Uh, as virtually a declaration of war and Iran is pretty good when it comes to uh, having proxy actors and it's not always possible to centrally control all the actions of uh, you know in so many locations so I think the the Americans have made clear that they've got quite a wide uh, range of options as well
0: mm, a wide range of options but Kathleen what's interesting is that um, Mr Trump has said an attack on America or our allies he has antagonised a lot of his traditional allies. So, God forbid, if there was some sort of a conflict, why on earth would they want to rally around his side, given that they don't support this and they hardly feel any loyalty to loyalty towards him, given how he's treated them and things that he's said? Well, the only European ally that's in danger
1: is Britain, of course. Or perhaps France, but Britain has the has the ships there. Um, the others are all Mid- Middle Eastern, aren't they? I mean, uh, um, Saudi Arabia might be a uh, problem. Israel might be in a bit of a problem. Lebanon might be in a little bit of a problem. Jordan certainly would be in a little bit of a problem. But that, I mean, what is most of those will make no n- difference to Iran. What you know, which way they go. So I think that might be
0: Britain. Mm. Is so we ally. could get dragged into something inadvertently because well, of this.
1: If, well, the ships are, are uh, near the Gulf of Hormats. They're in the Gulf. Um, there are, there are, there's the odd British rowboat that's sitting around there that might be in danger. Mm.
0: But, it does, but, but the inference, though, is that if, if this did escalate into something rather frightening, that even if Britain didn't want it because of our naval presence, we could, we could effectively get dragged into this whether we liked it or not. Well,
1: if, if your ship got attacked, or if our ship got attacked, uh, you'd want it, wouldn't you? You would like not just to be swirling down the whirlpool to the to the bottom and nothing happening. Mm.
0: But I guess it, it's 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 how it escalates. If, if it came to that, that it gets deeper and deeper before you know it, you've reached the point where there's no turning back.
1: Remember, Britain tried to, to pull back. The the head of, of British forces in Iraq tried to pull back. He said, look, there's not any threat. He got uh, stamped on by the Foreign Office, Foreign mm. Commonwealth Office, because they see as their main element of safety to be walk step and step with the americans.
0: Hmm. I mean the, the other point as well Danielle is if you're a conspiracist I'm not saying that I am is is that you know you could argue that look it's 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 all sort of a bit convenient isn't it smoke and mirrors that uh, you've had mr trump locked in this trade war with china you've got another dimension of this which is supposed to revolve around national security the fight with huawei we had uh, events in venezuela etc and uh, yeah those may be construed as failures so Let's get involved in in Iran. Iran's a big enemy, so maybe this is something which which switches public attention. It it, it moves attention away from them, the less successful aspects of the Trump foreign policy.
2: Well, I don't. You don't need to be a conspiracist to see that he is also talking to his base and say, making these very aggressive and uh, boisterous comments. Um, but uh, look, the foreign policy has not really been a major part of his appeal to his voters and if anything the non-intervention and the, the isolationism has been part of his appeal so i think as far as that goes he's just making these grand statements the problem is is that the situation being free, but febrile and there being so many iranian proxy actors and so many allies of america who are quite happy to see the ramp up the the tensions that's where the real danger lies i don't get the impression that he's actually saying, right, right boys, next stop, terror.
0: And, and dangers in Iran itself as well, because you've had that you've had a, a leader who is seen as quite moderate and he's under pressure because um, the conservatives in his, his ranks will say, well, hang on a minute. You know, you've tried to be conciliatory and look where it's got you. This isn't working.
1: No, that he's, he's been having that for the past year and a half, I think, ever since in particularly since the sanctions were ramped up by the Americans. He's going a bit to the he's bending more to the right. He has to to, to survive, I think. And. Um, the thing is that it's 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 the supreme leader and it's the revolutionary guards, and Rouhani has to be able to has to make his way between among uh, with those two, and um, I think it would be very difficult to have those other two elements give in to the Americans.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Obviously, hence back to the need to save face on both sides.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm sure it's one of those stories that we will return to. But let's stay in the region because Palestinian leaders are threatening to boycott a US-led summit designed to bring international investment into the occupied West Bank and Gaza Strip. Now, the conference, which will be held next month in Bahrain, has been described as the unveiling of the first part of Donald Trump's long-awaited Israeli-Palestinian peace plan. However, Palestinian officials say they were not consulted about the event and they've refused to show up. So, Daniela, if the Palestinians are going to boycott it, then it begs the question what's the point? Because I think there are also concerns as to whether Israel itself will attend.
2: The the Israelis will attend. The Israelis are pretty keen on this. For for a long time, the the idea of this uh, economic peace has been floated and it immediately uh, rings alarm bells with me. Benjamin Netanyahu has been one of its proponents again. The idea that if you ease restrictions and travel and allow work permits and so on, then somehow the Palestinians will magically lose all national aspirations and they'll be quite happy uh, with just a slightly better uh, standard of living. Uh, It's patronising and it's unrealistic and it hasn't worked. And it's also, it's impractical. How are you going to improve economic conditions in Gaza with the siege the way it is, how is it possible to do this without any kind of um, political or diplomatic agreement? And the fact is, is that the PA has not been consulted over this. The PA will not be involved. Uh, Israel seems to be quite happy for the Palestinian Authority to be less and less significant and relevant, but that's also extremely dangerous. Uh, mm. Well, is negotiating
0: being done on their behalf, basically, even though they're not there to influence it?
2: Well, I, you know, I, I, it, to me, it seems. Um, Another potential step toward annexing parts of the West Bank, where Israel will have full mil- Israel have full military and, and civilian control, and the rest of it just sort of shunted off to some sort of uh, uh, dysfunctional Palestinian authority.
0: Mm. So, is that your take as well, Kathleen?
2: Well, I mean, it's it's the
1: I, I would also add that since the idea is for massive foreign investment in the area, that must be massive foreign investors who are about bound to make uh, um, uh, some money as well. And so, therefore, um, the difficulty is if you have people who think the world runs on economics, you're going to have people who think that's the answer.
0: Mm.
1: And if you have people who on the whole don't have a huge ideological rigor about them. You're going to have people who don't think any other one does yet, does either. And also, I think I agree entirely with Daniela. It's patronizing. I mean, almost it's patting the Palestinians on the head and saying, I'll behave, we'll take care of you. Uh, we'll get some you know, infrastructure built and some, and some uh, investment. And life will be much better than, than it ever has been before. But if you ask those people, would they give up their own national interests, for a mess of pottage, mm. um, I think you would get a different answer.
0: And there's something quite ironic about it, isn't there, Daniela? That you've had America actually slashing the aid it gives to the palestinians and it's basically saying to all these other attendees well you can give them the money instead of us so it's almost as if they're washing their hands of it because somebody else is picking up the tab
2: well i think from the american point of view there is something to be said the idea that this is being seen as a business venture i mean from the israeli side i think there is an ideological uh, idea then that you will invest uh, invest in these places especially other people will invest and that will make people will, will quieten down I, it, but it, it really it really doesn't work. I recall being in Gaza at the time of the disengagement, um, what is it, nearly 15 years ago now, and sitting you know, in a little beachside cafe, talking to the proprietor, and he was saying, well, you know, the Israelis are leaving now, no more settlers to harass me. Come back next year, I'm going to have a fish restaurant, I'm going to have a hotel, and my brother has saved up some money in Dubai. And, well, we all know what happened to Gaza, and that's not because people. It's not because it doesn't have fantastic coastline, and it's not because people don't have an entrepreneurial spirit. It's because there is a closure. It's because there's a blockade. Mm. So it's absolutely impossible to say, right? We're going to turn on the tap now, and also then we're going to close it. If somebody shoots a rocket, right? We're going to
0: punish you. Yeah, close it down. But I mean, look, when you think about this in the in the bigger context, Kathleen. What it appears to tell us reinforces the perception that the two-state solution, the idea of it, is dead, certainly under the Trump White House.
1: Seems pretty dead to me. (laughs) there's, there's There's no hope for that because only the Palestinians want it.
0: Mm. But then it, it begs the question: This this summit is supposed to lay the ground for this Middle East peace plan, which Mr. Mr. Trump has described as the deal of the century. And yet, we don't actually know what the what the components of this so-called deal are. Although he has said that both sides will have to make compromises and. Where are the areas for compromise?
2: <laughs> no, well, there's been no lack of plans for a two state solution. There, there was Oslo, there was Geneva, there's all kinds of initiatives. It's not even just, we can't, I'd love to blame everything on Trump, but uh, it's not even down to him. The two state solution is dead. Right, but he said,
0: I have this great plan. He hasn't revealed what the plan is, but from the bits and pieces that have dribbled into the public domain, do we have any idea what shape it takes? He's talking about compromises. Where are these areas of compromise?
2: Well, I think the Palestinians will have to compromise on the right of a return for okay, refugees. so what about Israel? Israel will have to compromise on, uh, from the Israeli perspective, on having a, a, a nascent terror state on its doorstep. I mean, that's what, you know, a recognition of um, Palestinian sovereignty in places which have very serious, significant Jewish uh, mm. Uh, roots um but I, I, let's not even I, I wouldn't even waste time talking about it. sorry it's it, it's so beyond the possible and we're gonna look back in a couple of a decade or two just as like we look back on Oslo Oslo era with some sort of naivety and like there was an era of
0: hope. we
2: look back and we're gonna think why did they waste time the, the, this is not the this is not the avenue to pursue.
0: Oh, dear. (laughs) On that grim note, you're listening to Midori House here with me, Juliet Foster, and my guests Kathleen Burke and Daniela Pellet. Now, coming up next, Switzerland votes overwhelmingly in favour of tighter gun control laws in line with changes to European Union rules. Download the free Monocle24 app today to tune in wherever in the world you happen to be. Whether
2: you're catching up on the news on your daily commute, enjoying a little cultural nourishment during your morning run, or seeking some recipe inspiration around the kitchen table, the Monocle24 app allows you to tune in live or download your favorite shows to enjoy later. Get started by downloading the Monocle24 app today. Monocle24. Keeping an eye and an ear on the world.
0: Still with me are Kathleen Burke and Daniela Pellet. Now, Switzerland has voted overwhelmingly in favour of tougher gun control laws, bringing the country in line with changes in European Union regulations. Although Switzerland isn't an EU member, it does belong to the open border Schengen area, which allows freedom of movement across EU states. If Switzerland hadn't changed the law, its status within Schengen would have been jeopardised. well under the new regulations, certain types of semi-automatic firearms will be banned. So, Kathleen... What stood out to me about this story was that referendums can actually work if they're done properly.
1: Well, and if you have a country that's used to having them, I mean, California is used to having them. For example, they have referenda all the time. Um, Switzerland is small, <laughs> compact, <laughs> um, and it's Landlocked. it's <laughs> well, that too, and it's it's an easier situation than uh, than the, the United Kingdom, but. Uh, Referend, a referendum, are always good if they come out with the answer you want them to
0: mm, which seems come up with. To, yeah, which seems to be the case, the case here. But having said that, Daniela, Switzerland's hand was forced by the EU and in turn the EU's hand was forced by some pretty violent events.
2: Well, yeah, I think the interesting aspect of this is how much gun control is part of uh, Swiss identity and Swiss culture. People, have, people own guns, people... Uh, you know, it's different from the right to bear arms uh, in America. And I think it does show how people can be pragmatic even on these deeply held traditions when there is a really good uh, reason to be. But I also think even though it was a very... The, the results of the referendum are, are not in doubt. It was quite a clear
0: vote. Mm, it's very emphatic. Yeah, I mm, think there sorry. is still
2: room for populists and anti-Europe parties to exploit it as they already have begun doing. The idea that no, you know no longer have sovereignty over one of your deeply held traditions, I, d- I don't think that particular story is, is finished yet.
0: Mm. But then, Kathleen, the scale of the referendum victory does suggest that Switzerland's gun culture may perhaps have been already in a, a state of some change. So if that was the case, that maybe the victory was quite, in fact, well, it was predictable that it would be fairly emphatic.
1: Well, I think it will. But also there there is the uh, um, the aspect of it that it was against semi-automatic weapons, um, which were used in Paris, in France, for all of the, uh, the attacks by uh, jihadists. And therefore, it's difficult to say gosh, I'm a housewife in Zurich, I really need my semi-automatic to to defend myself. If it had been handguns, I suspect, or if it had been hunting rifles, I suspect
0: there would have been more of a problem. Mm. So semi-automatic, then it it made it a bit easier. But then having said that, I mean, the gun lobby, they may have had their reservations, but they were behind this referendum nonetheless. But But you get the feeling they must have been fairly confident of winning it. But is there also a sense, Daniela, that maybe they saw it as a referendum on Switzerland's relationship with the EU?
2: Well, that's a good question. I mean, there there have been previous... Switzerland has been making concessions to the European Union, like like tax laws recently uh, and so on. Um, Switzerland has had a a decent deal, really, you know, part of, not quite part of, on the borders, enjoying benefits. Um, And also Switzerland does have a, you know, as as a... I had to put this politely. I wouldn't say what would would, is fear of outsiders uh that was xenophobia.
1: Well, I would not. <laughs> I could <laughs> not possibly.
2: I could not possibly okay, say a, that.
1: A little suspicion. Well, a yeah, little suspicion. suspicion.
2: And I and I think <laughs> that the fact that uh, the the series of attacks I, in Europe, I think that has had an impact, and that has swayed you know Kathleen said that the the fact it is semi-automatic weapons I think that's uh that nothing like the fear of attack helps uh, breed a consensus
0: mm. but uh, for the final point on the, in this Kathleen I mean look Switzerland does have a pretty good relationship with the EU do you think that perhaps it might want to deepen that that there could be something from a certain nation which isn't landlocked and which is ripping itself to pieces about EU membership that when we finally do exit that maybe Switzerland might think oh yeah, I mean there could be something Out of out of Britain's departure, that might be useful to us.
1: I mean, like threatening that we're going to pull out, uh, out (laughs) close the border, and so forth. There's very little Switzerland can do that wouldn't hurt Switzerland more than it would hurt Europe. (laughs) The EU, in fact.
0: Let's move on then to our final, final subject. Because the Netherlands took the honours at this year's Eurovision Song Contest, breaking a 44-year drought. However, singer Duncan Lawrence's triumph was overshadowed by controversy, not because of the song, but because the contest was staged in Tel Aviv. Critics claim that Israel's occupation of Palestinian territories meant that Eurovision should have been held elsewhere. However, the organisers say the contest is a non-political event, and they threatened to punish the Icelandic band Hatari, who waved Palestinian flags during the vote. So the question to either of you, before we go into the nitty gritty of this, I mean, did either of you watch it? Are either of you interested nope. in Eurovision? Yeah. Well, OK, that's that's pretty decisive. No,
2: I've got a, I've got a pretty decisive look of disgust and disinterest <laughs> on my face.
0: <laughs> but I mean, look, it's it's whatever you may think about Eurovision, it's it, it is easy to say that the contest shouldn't have been held in Israel. But surely that would have broken the rules because the tradition is that the nation which wins it hosts it the following year.
2: I mean, why so easy? I'm not. Uh, I'm not a big fan of uh, Israeli policy, but I mean, if you have Azerbaijan hosting it in previous years and uh, and plenty of other countries with a very dodgy human rights uh, record get involved, it's kind of ludicrous to say, oh, Israel can't. But it's also equally ludicrous to say that the whole thing isn't political. Of course, it's political. Uh, Remember was- when Russia won. Well, Oh, uh, exactly and you know for, for israelis across the board right left center this has been a unifying force of absolute delight and a national pride really there were some small there were some small protests um but really absolute win-win uh for israel and win-win as well if you for a, I, sh- I shouldn't be so cynical, but if you're a small Icelandic band who wants to do some serious virtue signalling, uh, also quite handy just to yeah. wave a Palestinian flag.
0: Because yeah. we'd never heard of them before. Do you heard of them before?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm not the woman to ask.
0: <laughs> I was just tentatively fishing. This is the
1: woman who's not ever seen Madonna sing. So.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, I, I didn't hear her sing, but I'd heard she was off key. <laughs> Can Madonna ever be off key? But I mean, there, there was an, an op ed in, in the Hadets newspaper, and they basically said, look, you know, uh, it's it wasn't great staging it there, and it it took this this protest, and I use the word guardedly by Madonna and by this this, this Icelandic band to show up the hypocrisy of, of, of Eurovision. I mean, are they just perhaps being a bit too OTT on that?
1: Well, it's silly. I mean, it is. I I agree with Daniela that it is political, but it's basically a beauty contest with songs, isn't it? I mean, it's it's if you have certain countries in. You cannot say that certain countries can't do because at this point we don't like what they're doing. I mean, can you imagine the number of countries that would not be in? I mean, if America was part of it, there'd be so many boycotts that America shouldn't be in for the past 20 years, that it would be be amazing. No, I think that it's ridiculous to do that. It it gains nothing other than sort of a burst of self-righteousness, And you either go with the rules on this or you don't.
0: Hmm. I mean, the final point to you on this, Daniela, because look, um, there are some who would say, well, maybe this contest this year will mark some kind of a turning point. Yes, there's been politics in the past but perhaps never quite as explicitly expressed as having one of the most famous women musicians in the planet actually up there with her dancers wearing the Palestinian flag and um, a rather bizarre Icelandic band. So the point that I'm getting at is that we could, could we see more politics creeping in from the edges, that perhaps these guys have rolled the ball, somebody else will take it further forward?
2: No, because Israel-Palestine is their ultimate sort of... Uh uh, piggybacking kind of uh, opportunity. I find it distasteful to see Madonna singing, <laughs> backing singers, like infantilizing this conflict by having a somebody with a Palestinian flag on his back and somebody with an Israeli flag on their back hugging. Like, thanks so much, Madonna. You're not helping. So I don't think when in Azerbaijan, when it was held in Baku, I don't think anyone was, was waving a, an Armenian flag because other conflicts are a little bit more complicated. Somehow people think that they can score some, they can make themselves look super politically sophisticated by getting involved with Israel-Palestine.
0: Right, so there are better ways of doing it. But that brings us to the end of today's show. My thanks to my guests, Kathleen Burke and Daniela Pellet. Thank you for joining us here at Midori House. And today's show was produced by Carlotto Rabello. It was researched by Fernando Augusto Pacheco and Nilem Nijar. Our studio manager was Kenya Scarlett. More music next, and at 1900 hours, it's the Monocle Culture Show. And we'll have more on the day's main stories on the Monocle Daily at 2200. Midori House is back at the same time tomorrow. That is 1800 London time. I'm Juliette Foster. Goodbye.